Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And this month, we're talking about Cadence of Hyrule, or Crypt of the Necrodancer, Cross the Legend <laughs> of Zelda. That's it in a nutshell. It's a mashup game developed by Brace Yourself Game, published by Spike Chunsoft. This is a very interesting game in that it is a indie collab with Nintendo. One of the first times that's happened before, I think. They are very jealous of their IP and don't like to give it out to other people. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing for them to collaborate with smaller works and smaller uh, IPs that Nintendo has, but Zelda's about as honorable and venerable as you get, and them entrusting this developer of, as far as I can tell, only a few people with such an IP is really something. I'm a big fan of the previous game, Crypt of the Necro Dancer. The unexpected combination of roguelike and rhythm, to me it was like peanut butter and chocolate. Absolutely delicious. When I heard the sequel was coming out, I've been looking forward to playing it ever since. And it has not disappointed. Yeah, Crypt of the Necrodancer was a cool, uh, I guess we call it in like the silver age of indie games, like way back in the early 10s. Uh, it entered early access when early access was still a thing that was novel. I guess those chops uh, rewarded them with uh, nods from Nintendo to go ahead with this cool mashup semi-sequel. I heard that the creator, Ryan Clark, he wanted to create a roguelike game where each turn only took a short amount of time and you were very limited in how much time you had to decide. Most roguelike games are very, uh, they're turn-based and you have as much time to figure out your plan as you'd like. Uh, whereas he wanted a tighter loop and then one day he realized that I'm pretty much doing a rhythm game already. Let's just go full bore into that. What makes a good rhythm game? You know, let's think about the good, venerable rhythm games that are out there. Obviously, the one that comes to mind immediately is Guitar Hero or Rock Band. Dance Dance. Dance Dance Revolution, right. And what <laughs> makes those games good? Let's all say it together. The music. The music. <laughs> right. Zelda's got that in spades, so... That's right. So a rhythm game is only as good as its music, and Zelda has always had an incredibly strong musical tradition. So you get uh, the tradition of Zelda, a baller composer like Danny Baranowski, who did this soundtrack to things such as Super Meat Boy, Catabalt, and of course Crypt the Necrodancer, and it's kind of a match made in heaven. Let's get into the game a little bit and talk about the basics of the combat. It's a rhythm game like Crypt of the Necrodancer was, except instead of shredding awesome guitar solos, you're shredding enemies with your sword or various other weapons you got there. And um, you have to move on the beat or attack on the beat while dodging the enemy's attacks, which also come at you on the beat. Uh, very fast-paced kind of thing, especially with some of the songs that have a higher tempo than some of the slower kind of things going on. Or in my case, you're just getting your ass kicked on the beat for the first like solid hour you're playing this game because it takes some time to get used to, for sure. Oh, yeah. That was my biggest problem with it at the beginning. Although, my biggest problem wasn't the beginning where I was getting my ass kicked. It was later when I found out that it wasn't about getting good. It was just about getting the right equipment. And then it wasn't hard at all. Once you get that spear, it's over. It goes from super challenging to walk in the park in about two seconds. Yeah, the game definitely has an, an uneven power curve in that regard, and it's way more about preparation than anything that would consider calling itself a roguelike has a right to be. You can get through this with a, a very scant inventory or power-up set, but 
for me, this was about going out, exploring the world of Hyrule in this rhythm way, equipping myself as I needed to, and then steamrolling through everything once I was ready to. All right, Brian's right. The game is a lot about exploration, kind of like I think the original Zelda was. You're going around, you're powering yourself up. It's less of a skill-based game, but I would say in defense that classic Zelda games like um, Link to the Past were not necessarily skill-based games either. I'm sure coming from Sekiro to this, which, Clint, I think you said that was a rhythm-based game as well. Yeah, it was. I almost added to that list earlier, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, the aspects of rhythm games and rhythm sort of work their way into a lot of different genres. Um, Once you thought about Sekiro as a rhythm game, it definitely made a little more sense. But this game, you know, while it, it is super important that it is a rhythm game and it's a core aspect of it, you can also still play it not as a rhythm game. It has that fixed beat mode. Which makes it really interesting because then it's almost just a tactical game. You have all the time in the world to recognize the patterns and where they're coming in at and then figure out the best course how to respond to that. That pretty much just turns it into a turn-based game, right? Yep, Yep. pretty absolutely. much. I didn't try that. I should check it out. Yeah, so I guess, Clint, you know, you're a musician. We're all varying degrees of musical in this uh, this podcast. Was the rhythm thing at all of a challenge for you, or was it just like something you weren't quite used to? Or No, that part was actually just fine. It was... Uh... It was just at the beginning when you're trying to get used to the concept because not a whole lot of games take this route, especially not with combat. Like all those other games we mentioned, uh, Sekiro aside, which isn't a true rhythm game, but you get it. Like (laughs) Guitar Hero, Rock Band, all those kind of games. You're not attacking anything in in rhythm. It's just you're holding the beat. This, you're holding the beat and doing something and thinking three moves ahead at the same time. There's not a whole lot of rhythm games I've played before that involve improvisation and your plans gone awry, come up with a new one in the next half second. Whereas like Guitar Hero and Rock Band, here's the chords they're going to play. They aren't going to, you know, there's no jazz hero out there. Nobody's ripping (laughs) crazy solos. They're following the chord progressions or uh, drum tracks or whatever it is. Right, you're just doing what they tell you as they tell you to do it. That's why this game was hard at the beginning for me, but that's just because it's something new. The biggest disappointment, like I said, was when it turned out that there was never any like learning curve to it. It was just get some better weapons and then it's just super easy. Like I, I think I breezed through it. In fact, most of the bosses, uh, I unfortunately was able to get through them so quickly that I didn't even have to get attacked by them. Like all the cool parts of the boss fights, I just, you know, skipped straight through because I could kill them so fast. I disagree that there's no learning curve. I mean, it is possible to get through this game on a three heart run. So that would clearly take some learning. Uh, I've tried the three heart run and there's a part with the final the final boss when you're fighting Ganon. Spoilers, guys. You fight Ganon in a Zelda game. Uh, but there's a part where you're fighting him where you have to get all three of the heroes that you can play. You have to get them to separate parts that represent the Triforce over there. Um, and you got to maneuver your characters very well. But the thing that got me and made me give up on it was that the enemies will still attack your characters while, they're, while one of them's lined up, but you're trying to get the other ones lined up too. And... With just three hearts, I figured this isn't worth it for me anymore. So I got up to there. I also didn't use the spear on that run because I feel the other weapons... The the spear is definitely overpowered. It lets you attack things without having to be worried about being attacked. And you get that titanium spear too. That was the killer combo for me. Titanium spear, you could attack from two spaces away 
and take down two hearts at a time. It just made it too easy. While I love the conceit of this game where you're going through getting additional equipment and traditional Zelda style and sort of upgrading your verb set, I found myself pretty much sticking to using my main weapon yeah. for for almost everything. Um, Did any of you guys end up using the boomerang or hookshot or anything? Doing three hearts, there were a couple of times I used some of the items more explicitly as opposed to just for fun, but I kind of feel like the items weren't there to be items that you use to traverse new things, to get new verbs. They were just there to be like, hey, remember the hookshot? Hey, yeah. remember the ice rod? <laughs> yeah, there was never any real reason to use them. Like, even the bow and arrow, like, I just found, it just I just never used it, never needed it, just kept using my one weapon. That was pretty much it. If you got the spear, then the bow and arrow isn't as needed, but there's these, uh, like the little flying bombs that come towards you, those you gotta find a way to attack otherwise. Another interesting thing about how you end up getting all those different moves and items is you get them completely out of order. Um, You're kind of at the luck of the draws to most of the items that you wander upon in terms of upgrades, like your hookshot, your bow, your boomerang, etc. You get them in a fairly randomly determined order, considering you can go up into any of the dungeons at any point uh, after you start. Even beyond that, the entire layout of the overworld map is randomized. I remember I didn't think that the first time I played through, but the second time I started, it asked me if I wanted to enter a random seat, and I'm like, why the hell would I do that for? (laughs) (laughs) That was actually pretty cool. Uh, So the first two times I played, I think the the order that it put me in was also very, very difficult, just based on what was around the starting screen. The third time I played, it was just, it clicked so much better because I had decent easy starting zones outside of my you know first space so you know i think we've all we've all taken a fair amount of criticisms to this game kind of right up front and i think they're they're worth examining and getting out of the way but if i think back on like my moment to moment of playing this game i was still having a whole lot of fun and this definitely doesn't have as much replay value as the completely random roguelike crypt of the necker dancer i'd agree with that but it's it's got its charms and what it did which was cross zelda up with that roguelike it did that about as well as i could have asked it to oh yeah they took great care in what nintendo handed them again we talked about it earlier but nintendo never gives their ip to other people and the fact that they gave up zelda which is next to mario like their their star player the fact that they let somebody else do it if they didn't do it right, they'd never let it happen again. And I got to say, they did a very good job of making it very Zelda. It felt like Link to the Past. Like, it did. Look, felt, sound. It was It was all It was all perfect. In the way respect. they organized the game into screens that you'd go, and then you move up a screen or down a screen, and you fight the enemies on that screen. That was definitely a big callback to how things used to be. Yeah, and on top of that, most of the soundtrack seemed to be inspired by Link to the Past. I think there were there were callbacks to Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker, a couple others, but the the main inspiration was clearly Link to the Past, even down to the graphical style, which is just a gorgeous pixel art graphical style, like huge upgrade from Crypt of the Necrodancer. Oh, for sure. Great sprite work. Perfect upgrade, like a 2019 version of the old what was it, 1980s? Yeah, Super Nintendo, I think, was 91 when it came out. Hell of a hell of an upgrade, though, for, for that graphical style. And, like, 
it comes with an upgrade in in musical taste and stylings too as soon as that hip-hop beat dropped on the title screen i knew i was in for some bangers like it was like oh man this is my shit What were your favorite musical tracks in this one, guys? Well, for me, it's hard to beat the overworld just because it incorporated like four different overworld themes and every time it rolled into a new one, I like, oh shit, they went into the Wind Waker theme. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was just a continually surprising and delightful track for me to listen to. so well together you almost didn't tell when switched to one to the other it's actually really good mm-hmm. yeah they had a good running theme throughout the whole thing not like a specific zelda theme but the music fit very well together and like clint said it melds well meshes well with it when you go from one screen to another yeah having just played uh, through celeste for our last month's discussion um, I think it's interesting how the soundtrack has sort of movements kind of like the Celeste soundtrack had movements where every time you switch a screen it almost felt like a natural change in the, the soundtrack was coming. Um, Danny Borowski changed you know, tacks and styles multiple times during the same track in the same homage or mixed in multiple homages in the same track to sort of keep every track dynamic and make it fit the length of the screens he was trying to tackle. So he made things different for different screens. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you notice, there was a theme for Death Mountain. There was a theme for The Lost Woods. There was a theme for Gerudo. There was a theme for every different dungeon. There was a theme for every boss. And there was a main overworld theme, which is the one I was talking about at the top. And each of them had different movements in it that were about the length it would take you to tackle a screen. So even within the same track, in the same area, you would get a change in the mood if you move from screen to screen. On top of that, he made alternate versions for if there were enemies on screen versus not, which was awesome to see, like, the last enemy die and all of a sudden the track, like, chills out. <laughs> that was a nice little touch, I thought. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it, it was very clear to me that he and the staff he had working on this soundtrack just poured a lot of effort into it, and it definitely shows. Yep, it was the best part of the game by far. Well, you guys were talking, uh... You mentioned briefly the dungeons in there. I mean, what did you guys think about the dungeons here? They randomly generated, kind of like small connected rooms for you to explore. Not big on puzzles. I think there was maybe one or two puzzles a dungeon, which is a typical Zelda trope, but uh, did not happen in this game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it felt kind of hollow a little bit. Like, after the first one, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Kind of like the problem we had with... Uh, Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild, to be honest, once you see it, there's not much else to be done. Just do the same thing four more times, and then you beat the boss, and you're done. I agree with you on that, Clint. This this game had an approach to dungeons uh, in the same way that Breath of the Wild did. You know, Breath of the Wild maybe had a, a larger breadth of approach, but the basic ideas were basically there from the beginning and didn't uh, subside all throughout the game. You know, each dungeon was basically two rooms that net you a treasure each, and then a boss key, and then a boss. Um no traditional puzzling here, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll say it once, we'll say it again. Uh, the puzzle dungeons of old may, in fact, be dead. Yeah, Zelda's dead. 
<laughs> long live Zelda. <laughs> yeah, long live Zelda. Zelda's dead. Finch just misses those wa- water temples so much. He wants the pain. The first yeah, give me those iron boots. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had iron boots in this game, but I guess it's um, maybe worth talking about real quick here the sort of variety of equipment you can get, you know. Uh, you have a shovel in this game like you do in Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's a big mechanic about sort of making space for your work is clearing out those soft dirt walls. On top of that, you have your torch, which helps with lighting, and an accessory, which will grant you uh, an additional boon on top of that. And the boots. That's right. And those are all things that will disappear every time you die. Uh, everything else is persistent except for rupees, I think. Yeah, unlike Breath of the Wild, where your weapons would break down and you'd be going to a new weapon then if you got you know your titanium spear or your obsidian flail or whatever you got you have it and you have it you don't have to worry about it afterwards i'm really glad they made that choice too because i could see them building a lot of artificial length into this game by making your good weapons go away every time you die and that would be infuriating it was a quality of life thing but it was also its greatest weakness, too. Like, if they'd have taken it away, it would have made the combat more difficult as you went. I don't know. But this was meant to be more fun than it was meant to be uh, challenging, to be honest. I think so. I agree completely. They made the right choice here. You know, as far as I'm concerned, quality of life is always going to be the right choice. But <laughs> I, I get the people that will say that, you know, the biggest detractors or biggest attractions that people have about this game is that it's too short and eventually it gets too easy, right? But if you reversed those problems and uh, it was impossible to get to the end to because it was too difficult, I'd have a lot more problem with this game. Well, coming back to the Crypt of the Necrodancer, uh, we, you know, that was a predecessor of the game. I think some of the choices they made in this game, the differences between the two are kind of illustrative. We talked about this being a kind of a more fun game than a challenging game. Uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer was definitely a roguelike game. I would not call this game roguelike at all, and I don't think it should have been. The way you set up a roguelike game where you have permadeath, where you have a um, wide variety of items and equipments and uh, build-outs you can get, uh, you set that up differently when you know the player is going to die a lot and start back at the beginning than you do with this game, where maybe the player dies a lot, maybe not, but... It's, it's more of a kick in the pants if there's like a permadeath mode on a game like this or Diablo as opposed to Crypt of the Necrodancer or Brogue or Into the Breach. Things that are designed up front with the idea that your life is short and you will die. Yeah, this game, the the losing is fun aspect is kind of sort of still there. Like, you do have to get some things back, and as a matter of fact, it was a bit confusing to me to figure out which was kept versus lost when I first started. But, like you said, or like you've said many times before, Josh, the, the fun part of a roguelike is always losing is fun. You know, you learn something new with each death, and in this game it was more, you know, it was fair. Every time you died, you sort of understood what it was and you maybe learned something, but I didn't find it particularly fun or novel to have to repick up my torch, shovel, and accessory every time I died. No, I think they were trying to make it more roguelike going that way. I think another thing that the game kind of left-footed a little bit was the weapons. 
uh, the weapons were all the ones from Crypt of the Necrodancer. I mean, not all of them. There's no, like, crossbow or elephant gun or things like that that don't fit the setting, maybe. But um, they're the flail, the spear, um, the uh, law, the broadsword that attacks three squares in front of you. Those are all from Crypt of the Necrodancer. And I think, you know, in Crypt of the Necrodancer, the spear is not overpowered because there's a a wider variety of enemy attacks and maybe the tighter confines of the game as well uh, make it so that it's more difficult with a spear than it is in this game with the more wide open spaces. It's also worth mentioning that all of the uh, enemies have different patterns in this game that you have to sort of adapt to and sometimes different weapons can make a difference in how you approach a given enemy and how they you know will move or attack given their assigned pattern of you know how they move on the rhythm. Did you find yourself switching weapons in between, like on different situations, or did you mainly stick to one? I mostly stuck to the spear, but I found myself using the broadsword or the the special sword, the two length sword that you get at the end, the legendary sword. After a while, at the end of the day, like length always won out for me. Mm-hmm. Insert dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> I guess another thing that I really enjoyed, you know, while the the dungeons may not have been up to the, you know, classic puzzle romp classics that we've seen before, they all did have their own flavor. They all had their own sort of mechanic in them. And they all had their great pun boss name. Uh, the Gilak and Spiel, the Gomarakas, the uh, Wizrobo. Like, seriously, like every time you had a uh, boss combined with an instrument, you know, Wizrobo. Oboe Wizrobe. It's very good. Bass guitar most nights. <laughs> yeah, the, the big bass guitar, dude. The bow. That was the best boss fight by far. Bass guitar most nights. By that, it was the last boss I did, and I was so overpowered at that point that I ruined those guys and got through the fight before they even played the song out. That's, yeah, that's the, with the, that's power the problem curves. I had every time. Like, <laughs> I'm like, they carefully crafted this boss fight, and I OP'd the shit out of it and didn't get to see any of it. It is a shame because they did put a lot of care into those boss fights. Like, they did special attacks at points in the song. Like, yeah. It, it, this this is one of those games that like your first pass through and your first boss are going to be the most magical part like when i killed that first dungeon i was like this game's power curve is perfect and if it stopped there and was able to replicate that throughout the course of the game it would be an all-time amazing experience but as it goes the fact that you can approach these in any order eventually they start to fall flat same problem as the last zelda this mm. do it at your own pace thing is hard to do well it turns out it's hard to do well over a course of 100 hours, and in yeah. this game, they scaled it down, and it was hard to do over the course of five. Yeah, I feel like you get a bigger pass when you have, what, 50 hours of gameplay as yeah. opposed to yeah. five. I'm all for a more curated, concise experience that is portrayed the way that the developers met than a big open world thing. I feel like open world's become such like a tagline ever since GTA. It's like open world this, open world that. Like, how about you close it up and give me something that's more cinematic, more dialed in, more special. I'm okay with It's that. a problem with procedurally generated games in general. I mean, take a look, compare Minecraft versus Subnautica when we did those 
what, last year, two years ago, whenever it was, uh, Minecraft procedurally generated this really no, like, different zones, different climate zones, but not different difficulty zones. Subnautica, on the other hand, it was open world. You could go everywhere, but you were definitely kept away from certain areas due to the danger that was there, and eventually you could get to that area, but it wasn't something that was, uh, it wasn't the same problem. It was open world, but it wasn't procedurally generated is the difference here. I think Clint is talking about the value of a bespoke experience that steers you towards certain experiences at certain times. Correct. And so Nautica was very open world, like you said, but it also had a careful guiding hand that kept you out of certain places. You could go there, but you learned pretty quick that you shouldn't. And they kept it feeling like that, exactly, that bespoke experience without the guiding hand being too obvious. Mm-hmm. They could have done that with this game too. Like it wouldn't have been too hard to structure it a little bit more like a uh, link to the past and a little less like a link between worlds, you know, like make the, make the order bespoke rather than uh, the uh, choose your own order situation. And I think there's an opportunity with this engine and this rhythm setup to make like a puzzle version of this where you have bespoke more bespoke dungeons more puzzle aspect of the rhythm gameplay and not as much randomly generated overworld for lack of a better word grinding your your inventory up mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i'd agree with that there this game didn't really gain anything by letting me do the forest dungeon before the mountain dungeon or after the lake dungeon you know Mm-hmm. Maybe Zelda shouldn't be randomly generated. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, there's so much about this, uh, about the Zelda universe that's bespoke and, and awesome. You know, the music for one. Uh, it's just, it's got a lot of careful flavor and attention paid to every aspect of it. And there was a lot of careful attention paid to every aspect of this game too. But I think we're kind of all coming down on the fact that the random generation, random order thing was not additive. Yeah, when everything's special, it's just... You know, so much better. Well, even outside of like a bespoke dungeon, like a designed dungeon, if they did something like a more intelligent difficulty scaling of the game, maybe your first dungeon's the easy one, and the second dungeon, there's new enemies, new patterns, something like that that keeps it more interesting, as opposed to, I think, what the game did, which was each dungeon has a certain type of elemental damage, which, that's eh, not that much more exciting, you know? No, they should have made the last one, the ice dungeon, where you're slipping and sliding all over the place and you can barely control yourself. That would have been the perfect last dungeon and done. (laughs) No water dungeon. There you go. That ice temple, though, like, that ice floor feature was so novel and so interesting when I first encountered it, and then they immediately undercut it by selling Mm -hmm. you the heavy boots in the first dungeon. Like, they put the heavy boots right there, and all of a sudden, the main interesting mechanic of this dungeon is obviated completely. Yep. Another thing they took from Crypt of the Necrodancer and could have taken better. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I don't know how we got this far in the conversation without talking about this, but you can play as... Link, Zelda, or Cadence from the Crypt of the Necrodancer in this game, and they do all have different move sets and special items that they can use. Thumbs up for actually being able to play a Zelda in a Zelda game. Yeah, and who's playing as Cadence, though? That could have been totally left out. In a <laughs> no. Zelda game, you're going to play as Cadence? Come on. I, I didn't play as Cadence except like when I first got her just to try her out. But um, 
as soon as they gave you the option to play as Zelda and then gave her a knife with which to stab things, I was like, all right, this is a new direction. I'm liking this. <laughs> so did you guys play Zelda then? I actually did my first run as Zelda because nice. everyone's done Link and the game's not called like Legend of Link here. I was ready to get make Zelda legendary. I went old school. I did Link. I played Link just because like uh, I initially chose Link and... I was more used to the moveset by the time I unlocked Zelda, which is an interesting puzzle on its own, having to go to the graveyard and retrieve the, the vial or whatever to unlock your second person. Oh, is that where Zelda is too when you play Link? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that basically you start off as one of the two, Link or Zelda, and you go to the Kakariko Graveyard, a classic once again from the Legend of Zelda lore. One of my favorites. And you uh, you find a uh, a vial of something a potion something of that sort which wakes up the other character and then you can play intermittently between the two and co-op very cool which did you guys end up doing any of that nope no i think you have to be local and we are not local oh well uh a thing for another time good idea at any rate it is yeah at the end of the the day the zelda homages were kind of the thing keeping me here for this game i'm amazed there wasn't an ocarina in this game like seriously <laughs> missed opportunity. played a loot instead to warp you to the different locations i mean that was a missed opportunity right there should have been an ocarina but that stupid windmill song was in the game so at least we got that what do you mean that's I the love best that song, song. <laughs> not the best song it's one of them it's up there yeah it's the and one that gets stuck in your head for sure I'm glad they also uh, got Gerudo Valley in there. That was um, excellent. Uh, the chill Gerudo theme is uh, a favorite of mine with the whistling. It's a, it's a cool idea. Well, in an age of remix culture where so many things have been done before, a lot of novelty comes with how you mix and match things and, you know, change around what's available to you. And I think this game did an admirable job of mixing and matching. All right, I think it's time for some three-word reviews. For me, this game was a big thumbs up. My three-word review is Harmonious Musical Mashup. As Brian was saying, we live in a remix culture right now. I'm all for that. I love to see the boundaries, the frontiers where things intersect. This, uh, you know, Crypt of the Necrodancer rhythm roguelike game. This game not rhythm or not roguelike at all, but I still liked the rhythm action kind of thing. And I thought it was unexplored territory. I'm excited to see if they keep doing this again and then maybe it becomes its own genre. They fused the two elements together very well, very harmoniously. I liked the Zelda notes. I liked the Crypt of the Necrodancer notes in it, too. Great experience for me. Absolutely. So, I'm a thumb sideways, actually. Gladiator moved there. Didn't know which way to go. And my three-word review is Treble in Paradise. <laughs> oh, we're going super punch this time. That's good. Uh, so... I really love what they did. I mean, Zelda music is amazing always. And anything that's linked to the past, well, that's also amazing. And they did just a great job of capturing the feel of old school Zelda, which I love. Yeah, but then you get into the mechanics of the game, which again, novel at first, but kind of fall flat after there's nothing to do after the first hour or so. And then you just kind of trudge the same stuff for five hours just so you can go, you know, be Ganon. That's kind of where I lost it for me, so... All in all, 
Amazing world, amazing music, kind of meh mechanics. Just because the spear is cheese. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot is. of cheese in this game for sure. A game is only as good as how hard you can cheese it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that being said, my three-word review is Hyrule Hype Hoedown. Uh, and the reason for that is this game feels like a party when you're playing it, down to the point where they basically throw a disco dance floor on the, uh, the tile set whenever you're doing really well. Uh, between the keyboard, drum and bass soundtrack, the bright visuals, and um, you know all the hype this game had going into it, uh, I had a blast playing it. I feel like it totally lived up to the hype, and I'm just so glad that Nintendo's trust was well-placed in Brace Yourself Games and their ability to live up to the hype that this game generated upon its announcement. Um, it definitely has me hyped for whatever they're going to do next. And next month's game, we will be playing another banger, Hotline Miami, top-down shooter from way back in 2012. Damn. So look forward to that one. Possibly the best soundtrack in a video game today. Just saying. <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be fun. Uh, we're gonna. It's got a lot of blood. It's got a lot of guts. It's got a lot of awesomeness. But you'll have to wait till next month for that bad boy. For us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. Sorry, guys. I didn't have time to say this time. It's okay. You uh, you did what you always do, which is provide an actual other perspective. That's <laughs> very valuable. It is. It is. It's like the only thing that keeps this from just being three white guys agreeing. <laughs> all, all you fanboys <laughs> over there. Three, like, that would have been a terrible name for the podcast. That would have been a great name for the podcast. <laughs> it would have been an apt description of the podcast. Seriously, though, when when they had that post credit scene where um, all of a sudden Cadence, you know, works back to a world and then looks up at the stars, I was really expecting Samus's ship to go flying across that and then be like, <laughs> Cadence of Zebes out next fall. <laughs> <laughs>